Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, it's David Ever with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. You know, a lot of the classic advertising marketing men and women from yesteryear, they really struggled to connect and pivot and stay relevant and effective with a new generation of buyers and a new generation of buyer expectations. Well, my guest today, however, he kills it. He's one of the best in the business. I'm talking with my good friend, Bruce Turkel, business author, amazing speaker, master of messaging, design, marketing, and future-proofing brands in a world of constant disruptive upheaval. It's David Avern talking with Bruce Turkel on the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Avrin, featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Avrin. Hey, welcome again to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. I am David Averin. Uh, thrilled today, one of, my, one of my great friends, but also one of the best in the business. He's one of the best in the business just because he's a good guy. And that shouldn't matter, but it does because I think it's somebody who is a real study of, of humanity and behavior and a great communicator. I think there's a lot of people who who can be good at something from an academic perspective, can study it, but the, the people really in the trenches and the people who have uh, great conversation skills and understand the give and take. Um, and, and that's just my own perception of it, just because I know him well, um, but he kills it. Uh, it was the head of, of Turkel Brands. We're gonna talk about what's going on with that company as well. But let me give you sort of the formal introduction and then we'll talk to him. He is a branding guru, makes his clients' brands more valuable. He's helped big, great brands along the lines of Nike, Discovery Channel, and HBO, heard of them, Hasbro, heard of them, Bacardi partook of it, and many more. <laughs> He's spoken for lots of great companies, and over 400 times, you've probably seen him on TV, over 400 times on NPR, CNN, Fox Business, MSNBC, they turn to Bruce Turkel to give them insight and perspective, and what does this mean, whatever's going on in the news, especially as it pertains to business and consumer uh, behavior. He's also published four books on branding customer service, uh, including, um, I'm, I'm gonna make sure I get all of these right. Um, it's all about them, which I thought was a great first one. I wanna talk about um, the shift in behavior and, and us understanding um, what our messaging really needs to be. And his brand new book, which I have right here for those who are watching the video version of this, on my website. Um, is that all there is? Come on, really? It's a great book about third act. It's a great book about what's next. And, and we're going to talk more about that as well. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. You know, I'm glad you're recording this because I can't wait to play that introduction for my mother. She is going to love it. Thank you. For oh, that. my boy, my boy. My oh, you know, my mother, except that sounds like my father, but oh, is it really? No longer with us, but or my grandfather, but yes, still, I'm going to play it for her. I'm sure they're very proud of you. 
Listen, we've um, we, we've talked over the years. Um, what I love about it, and some of the, like I said, some of the biggest media outlets in the world turn to Bruce for insight and perspective. I want to talk today about what's changing in the world. You know, I, I even say it for because because of course I speak as well, and I always say I don't want to. Nobody wants a, a, a COVID presentation or COVID discussion. Um, we're either over it. Uh, this this podcast is a little evergreen, depending on when you're listening or watching this. But the post-COVID world is really significantly altered and shifted. And along with that, our language and how we are promoting products and services. Talk to me a little bit. Talk to us about, about some of the shifts and changes you've seen and, and what does it take to, to be effective in this new world? Well, the most obvious shift is you said shifts in languages. Whoever said, hey, David, you're on mute before all of this happened. Right. And now, now we say it like 20 times a day, right? Um, I think you were very smart to say nobody wants to hear about COVID, post-COVID, because everybody tends to ascribe the things that are happening to COVID. And the truth is, COVID was simply the catalytic mechanism. COVID was simply the thing that made it all happen at once. But the changes that we're all experiencing were already happening. You yeah. could just afford to kind of not pay attention or only pay attention to the ones you cared about. So various things, democratization of information, thanks to the internet, thanks to all of these tools and uh, technology we have, every bit of information is available all the time to everybody. Siri, uh, Alexa, Echo, Google, Cortana, they know everything. So owning information in what used to be called the information age is a drastic change. Everybody has yeah. access. Number two, globalization. Because of computerization, the internet, so many different things, you can get anything, anywhere, anytime, any price, any company. Therefore, having some sort of control over what you sell and what people buy is old school, no different than, you know, it used to be if you put a moat around your castle, you were safe until someone invented the airplane and then moats didn't do a lot. That's happened again. And then the third thing that I think is the other effect of computerization, which is everything today is essentially perfect. Every produced product is as good as it needs to be. Televisions don't break anymore. Cars don't break anymore. Um, right. You don't have to upgrade your iPhone until either A, you drop it, or B, they come up with some really cool new feature like a third camera lens that you just have to have. But everything works. And so if you were building a business on having this very high level of quality in your offerings, guess what? You're no longer competitively relevant. And then all these things are happening. COVID comes along and makes everybody stop what they were doing and spend a full two years reevaluating their business, their lives, their products, their income, their revenue, on and on and on. So once again, COVID didn't cause it. COVID just made it all noticeable to us instantly worldwide. Well, in addition, COVID also accelerated mm -hmm. what had long been predicted uh, about how we were going to do business. We've been talking about this since the Jetsons, right? You know, <laughs> there, there's right. some great memes that show the Jetsons with with the different panels and somebody seeing the doctor online and somebody exercising to video and everything else. And that was the future. Well, it's now. And all those things probably were going to happen. I was just um, speaking at a healthcare internet conference and they were talking about, because of course they like shut down and had to reopen really quickly. They couldn't take three months off. It's a hospital. 
And so they talked about accelerating 10 years worth of, of technology in a matter of days. My and wife, so while uh, who sees patients every day, found right. herself all of a sudden at home and discovering telemedicine. Now, her, her office had telemedicine, but she had no reason to use it. And her patients wanted to come see her. So she kept telling me, oh, I'm never going to use it. It's all about hands-on. It's all about this, right? Until she couldn't leave the house and they still needed to have things looked at. And by the way, I had to make sure that I stayed out of her office because you don't want to go into an office when your wife is doing telemedicine with someone who is showing you what the problem is. You don't want to see Does this look infected? I, I promise you. Well, let's, and, but you and I have done this for a long time because some of these technologies existed. Zoom existed before COVID, but because I travel, because we travel, we've got to be able to find a Rite Aid. We've got to be able to find uh, a Walgreens or something for whatever ails us as we're on the road. But it became more ubiquitous, so many of these things. But also so many, as you, you talked about conveniences, but let's talk about language. Let's talk about those who were were struggling to keep up or resistant to keep up, whether you want to talk about cheese being moved or whatever else, there's still a number of organizations and companies saying, well, yeah, well, we're not Amazon. Okay. So, so how do you, as you counsel your clients for something, well, we can't do what Amazon does. We can't do what others do. Um, how do we, do we tweak it in terms of our language or do we tweak it in terms of our offering or our methodology, or is it a combination of all of the above? You remember the uh, movie Poltergeist? Of course. Uh, there was, those things were appearing. So there was a scene where the little girl, a little girl is watching television. And there's only static on the TV. They show her from behind. Right. You can find this clip on YouTube. It's great. And the parents the famous walk in, lines ever. Yeah. The parents walk in and they see their daughter, their little girl looking at a TV that's just snow going. And she turns around and she says, they're here. They're here. And that's what you and I, as, as marketing or messaging or uh, professionals, have to explain to our clients because they will say to you exactly what you said. Well, we're not Amazon. Well, we're not Apple. Well, people are always going to want to come to us. And you have to say, no, they're here. If you start that way, they'll shut you down. So what I always do is I talk about another industry, not their industry, and explain what happened to that industry, what happened to realtors who believe that the MLS, the multiple listing system, was their savior because multiple listing controlled knowing what was for sale, what the rates were, right. all of that. So and we didn't realtor, have access to it. Now you got Zillow, you have Redfin now. A realtor will tell you, yeah, those aren't really accurate. Doesn't matter. Here's the metaphor I love. Uh, I talked about a moat before or the Great Wall of China or a fence. It's created to keep people out, right? That's the obvious thing. You have the moat, nobody can get into your castle, but it's also created to keep people in. And if you have depended on the moat, the wall, the fence, the control of information, whatever it is, all of a sudden, that doesn't work anymore because all of a sudden, those defenses have been breached and it is going to happen in your business. It already has happened, but it's right. going to affect you in your business no matter what your business is. Radiologists used to say, well, you know, other people have to worry about this stuff, but not us because we're radiologists until someone realized, hey, you can get a radiologist US trained in India who can read a, a MRI or, or an X-ray overnight, send it back for a 10th of the cost. And all of a sudden there's a problem. And so 
once you realize it that way, you have to start looking at your business and saying, what do I need to do? And you use the exact right word at the very beginning to remain relevant. You might not have to change your business. You might have to change the perception of your business from either internal or external, but relevancy becomes the key. Right. And, and relevant to today's expectations and driven by so many other industries. One of the things that I find really interesting is this persistent belief on the part of organizations that, and you mentioned this as well, that quality is, is the significant differentiator or the ones who will say, listen, uh, just keep, keep an eye on, on, on the prize, an eye on the, the, the quality, or I, I've spoken, we've, we've done this as well, is right before I go on stage, the CEO does their state of the company, gets everybody up in the lather, and the last thing they say is, and remember, folks, at the end of the day, it's about quality. And, the, you know, the crowd roars, and I just think, God, do I say it? Do I not say it? Because I, <clears throat> I could not disagree more. Right at the end of the day, it's not about quality. At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. That's the entry fee. Well, you first better of all, be good yes, at what you do. Function and your ability to provide function is simply cost of entry. I mean, it's it's right, the exactly. ante at the poker that's table. The, if you yeah, don't ante up, that. you don't that's get That's the play. difference. But right. here's the fascinating thing about quality. Now you know I am a total word nerd, so I yeah. always look into the etymology of words because that's where messaging comes from. Quality by itself, which is how it's always used means nothing. It needs a modifier. You need to say low quality or high quality. The word quality we use to suggest high quality. But if you look it up, that's not what it means. So when someone says quality is job one, Ford said that, or what you said at the end of the day, it's all about quality. Yes, it is. Quality of what and what kind of quality. And it ain't Love the quality it. of the function of what you do. It's the quality of the relationship that you have with the people you do it with and for, and more importantly, what they think and feel about that relationship. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about how, from a wordsmith perspective, how you counsel clients, how you uh, acknowledge this and espouse this from the stage. Um, how do you differentiate in a growingly commoditized marketplace? And whether the business believes that they're commodity or not, the marketplace, of course, does. You don't have to be eggs or, or milk, and even those are finding good differentiation with you know, lactate or Egglands Best or others as well. But in a marketplace where, where, as consumers, we assume everybody's good. I mean, you wouldn't be in business if you weren't, right? You'd be outed very quickly on Yelp or TripAdvisor or Rotten Tomatoes. Or so how do you advise, whoops, as I hit my microphone here, how do you advise companies to either create differentiation, discover differentiation, or articulate it verbally when their customers assume they're all the same? If you accept two premises that you and I have made, number one, which is that function and quality of function is cost of entry. So you can stop talking about how good you are because first of all, people can find out how good you are or not instantly online. And second exactly. of all, to your point, Consumers think everything is good to a base level and computers have made it true that everything is good to a base level. So you accept that first of all. And then second of all, you accept that you do need differentiation to use your word. There's only one place left to differentiate. And Oscar Wilde wrote about it 115 years ago when he said, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. 
You, David Averin, bring a unique spin to what you do that is different than what I bring to what I do. You and I have similar backgrounds culturally, probably education-wise, probably on some level affluence-wise, on and on and on and on and on. However, we each look at things with our own unique spin, our own unique take. Unique take. And at some point, unless you sell a totally genericized product, which is a very, very dangerous place to have your business positioned, what makes your business different is you. If you think about the great brands, the companies that you look at and you go, man, if I was only Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Porsche, BMW, you can tell me the founder of each one of those companies. You know the founder's story, Virgin, Starbucks, and those founders' stories become the reason why that company is differentiated. Apple is a perfect example. Functionally, Apples do what other computers do. They use different style, different taste levels, things like that. But they do the same thing. And you never hear Apple talk about speeds and feeds. They never talk about function. They talk about the aesthetic traditions that Steve Jobs left them with and how their products make your life better. That's where the rubber meets the road. And when someone says to me, yeah, 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 but that's Apple. How do I do that? It's actually easier for you to do that in a small business because we all know that businesses take on the personalities of the founders and of the leaders. It's just that most small businesses try to obfuscate that by trying to look bigger than they are, more important than they are, less personal than they are, more corporate, instead of saying, when you deal with my company, whether I'm there or not, you're dealing with me. All right, so, but but create a connection. And this is what you talk about in your book. Um, It's all about them. In one aspect, we're taking on a, a personality that really differentiates. Here's who we are, here's what we believe, but it is all about them. There's one of the things I love that you talk about that, that most marketers, as they talk about features and benefits, they talk about the qualities, who they are, we're family owned, here's what we believe. It's like being on a, blind, a bad blind date, right? <laughs> yes. That's your line. Um, talk to us about that. And how do we shift our thinking when we love to talk about ourselves, we love to go features and benefits. And you alluded to that. I mean, it's really about how do we make them feel, but in a way that's so tangible that it actually drives a buying decision. So thank you. Thank you for that, because that's really the critical underlying foundation. And it's such an ironic recommendation. Hey, your business has to be all about them, but I want it to be more about you. That's when I do that when I'm up on stage or talking to a client that I get the Scooby-Doo head, right? They go, like, what? Yeah, exactly. And you're right. It's like a bad blind date, most marketing. And most, most bad marketing is kind of like, remember when you were in camp when you were a kid and there was that kid on parents day up on the high board going, Hey mom, look at me. Hey mom, look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do. All you wanted that kid to do was belly flop. Right. Because, and that's what most marketers, bad marketers, unsophisticated marketers do. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But I also said to you, it has to be about you. So the irony is where the real secret lies. And the, the, I created a, a uh, algorithm for this because everybody wants algorithms these days. And it's very simple. It's five characters. It's the letter CC, CC, the number two, CC, CC, two, CC. The first CC stands for company centric. You are the company. I am the company. Um, Apple is the company. Burger King is the company, regardless of the size. 
company-centric to T-O, customer-centric or client-centric or consumer-centric or church-centric or country-centric or city-centric or county-centric. It works across the board, but whoever you do business with, because different people have different audiences, different avatars sure. that they do business with. So how do you take who you are and what you do and give it to your customers? Perfect example, Apple, when they came out with the iPod, they also did something that had never been done before. They came out with white headphones. Why? Because most business guys who were wearing them on the planes wore dark blazers like you have on, and those white headphones really stood out. And what did it say? I'm using an Apple. Even the little white things sticking out of your ears, the Q-tips, they could make those things disappear so you didn't see them. People don't want that. They want to be identified to the product. So they are taking who they are and they're giving it to the consumer. They don't charge you extra because they're white. That's a freebie. And there's lots and lots of ways to do that. Think about, you know, you and I go to all these hotels to speak at conferences. Most hotels nowadays have a coffee machine in the room. And most of the better hotels that you and I stay at, on the coffee machine, it says, we proudly serve Starbucks coffee, right? Yep. Yet, the Starbucks in the lobby has a line every morning. And every, now, I know some people want a double latte, half, whatever. But the truth is, it's for their caffeine intake but they want that Starbucks cup that's got the big logo on it. Now, if you tell them that, they'll say, oh, no, 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 I like my coffee mate. That's nonsense. They can't tell the difference, but they want to walk around the conference. Even when they go into the conference room, it says we proudly serve Starbucks coffee, but people still want that cup because it's telling the world who you are. And Starbucks has made it valuable to your own self-image unless you're a hipster, in which case you go, oh, no, no, I don't drink Starbucks coffee. I want coffee that was, you know, marinated with- I don't even own that television. Yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, all the douchey stuff. Uh, talk to us, talk to us about, about customer centricity. Uh, we hear that a lot uh, about sort of going from, from product centric to customer centric. How does uh, an organization beyond sort of the broad platitudes of, of, you know, our customers come first? I'm like, not really sure what that means. What is customer centricity? How does it manifest itself in, in an organization's thought process, their attitude, their approach um, in a way that's tangible, that makes somebody say, this company gets me, not just that they Tell care me. about me. I mean, we get all that. Help me understand. Help us understand customer centricity from your perspective. Let me tell you how I learned it. Um, when I ran my agency, we were hired by Discovery Channel to help them build out their brands across multiple lines. They had Discovery, Discovery Kids, Animal Planet, People in Arts. And I got lucky enough to spend some time with John Hendricks, who had founded the company. And he was explaining to me what the, the powerful idea behind the company was. You would say, oh, it's nature shows. or oh, But before the idea was to have nature shows, why is that what they decided to do? And he explained this to me. And here's what he told me. I could never be everybody's favorite channel because David likes movies and someone else likes sports and someone else wants news. And if you're a news guy or a news girl, gal, woman, you're going to turn on the TV and go right to, at the time it was CNN. Now, of course, you, you run the gamut, but you go right to CNN. If you're a sports person, you're going to go right to ESPN. 
if you were a movie person, you would go right to either HBO or I think there was Showtime at the time. Right. And there was no way you could get the movie guy to first go to sports or the sports girl to first go to news. But he said, I can't be your first, your favorite signal, but I can be everybody's second favorite signal. So that when you're watching the movie and it gets boring, you might see what else is on. Or when news goes into that cycle and now you're gonna see the same news again, or the game is not any good, or you only wanna watch the last five minutes anyways, you're gonna go somewhere else. And where are you gonna go? So he created a channel specifically set up for you to come in and believe you could leave at any time. So there were not, you remember originally there was not stories. It was just, you were seeing these incredible things. At some point you want the alligator to pull the monkey into the river. I mean, he keeps snapping at him. The Let's, be going, Let's be honest. Let's be But right. it never happened. It was kind of like clickbait. But you would you could tune in at any time. It didn't matter. You can't tune into the movie and miss the beginning. If you miss the beginning of Usual Suspects, why watch the movie, right? But you could tune into Discovery Channel at any time. Hendrix understood. It wasn't about the programming per se. It was about understanding his consumer and understanding what they wanted. Also, what do they want to do the next day? They want to be able to be at the water uh, cooler, which of course we don't go to offices anymore, but when we did, and they want to sound smart. So you're going to say, hey, what'd you do last night, David? Oh, I watched the most recent issue of Jackass. You should see those right. guys falling oh. down the stairs. And then I did say- Did you see that new documentary on X or Y, right? Yeah, I was watching about the Egyptian pharaohs and how Pharisius Third figured <laughs> out quadratic equations. Now, I don't know anything about it, but I certainly feel good. He understood. That's how you do. It. I mean, that was a master class. That's what taught it to me. Right. He never said it to me. He just showed me what they did. So, but let's talk for a second. We're talking customer centricity about about the shift today. Because as, as we were doing this ten years ago, it was how do we wordsmith quality? How do we talk about those differentiators? As I said before, you know, at the at the beginning of the day, it's about quality. At the end of the day, it's about competitive advantage. What do you do better than others who do it well? Today, I'm seeing the shift, and I want your take on this, is that it's less about what you do. I mean, we, all, we can determine that very quickly online. Who does what? Who's your main competitor? Who's in proximity? Um, but we're seeing more of the changes of how fast can you get it to us? How convenient, how flexible, how, how moldable to the way we want to buy. Uh, in a marketplace replete with quality, the differentiators are more in terms of access today. Are you seeing the same thing? Well, my, my, my definite, profound, singular answer is yes and. Um, yes, for some businesses, I actually absolutely see that. The problem is if you are gonna wrap your entire life around delivering within 48 hours, you're gonna to lose to the folks who can do it in 24 hours. And if you're gonna wrap your entire meaning for being around 24 hours, you're gonna to lose to the people who say, we're gonna deliver it in 12 hours. And that battle is going to continue. You know, It's like uh, to be the low price leader, you counsel all your clients. I know this without even having you ever told me against using low price as a strategy, because ultimately you're going to lose because someone will outbank you, out lose money for a while. And ultimately, if you win, it's because you're not making profits and you're at a zero 
some game. And unless you can right. outlast or if they come everyone, to you for price, they will leave you for price, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Or you will die before they get there. So um, instead, to use your, your uh, scenario of everything can be delivered in 12 hours, but there's certain things I don't want delivered in 12 hours, like craftsmanship, like art. So if there's a way you can add a level of artistry and craftsmanship to what you do, then when I say, look, you can get wallets that'll be delivered in 24 hours, but we hand stitch hours. And therefore, based on your measurement of your pocket or whatever, that level of customization changes everything. No different than, I think it was Carol King singing anticipation for the Heinz ketchup that was coming exactly out. Right. Exactly the point right. was, it's worth waiting for. You can get faster watery ketchups, but if you want something as good as you deserve, you're, then you want to wait for it. I remember back in the day, and I think you would remember this as well, it was probably 30, 40 years ago, the old ads for preference by L'Oreal when they would say, it's expensive, it's more expensive, but I'm worth but it. But I'm worth it, exactly. Now, I'm not nearly as old as you, David, so no, I probably don't remember that, but I've heard about it. We're, we're probably. All right, talk to me about, real quickly about your, um, about your business, because I know there's a big transition for Turkel Brands. What's going on with that? Well, I sold Turkel Brands, actually, to my part. We had uh, the office in Miami, our national office. Now we had nine affiliate offices throughout Latin America. So we sold, first we sold the, the Latin American offices to an agency in Spain. And then five years ago, I left. I sold the business to my partner, who continues to run it and he's doing very, very well. He's changed the name to Rela Brand for relevant brands uh, because I simply did not want to deal with the infrastructure anymore. I did it for 32 years from just me in a room to all those people running around. And I have to be honest, the business part of what I did, the management, all that was not my thing. I like coming up with the, I do three things. I come up with the ideas. I express those ideas. I can write, I can draw, I can play music, I can present. And I get people excited about the ideas. After that, not so much. So I had to hire all the people to do the implementation, to do the overseeing, and I didn't want to do that any longer. So now I do basically three things. I have been consulting with companies on their messaging strategy, but I don't do the implementation. I come in, I look at the situation, I make recommendations, and I'm out of there. If I was braver, my business would be called Wham Bam, Thank You Ma'am, um, because that's what, that's what I want to do. But I'll recommend good people to do the work. I also, of course, write books and speak at conferences, but I've also made this huge shift because I found that the, the consumer marketing business just, I had done it long enough. I, I wasn't as interested in it. What I found I was incredibly interested in is how people, successful people change their lives, why they change their lives, what they do about it. It used to be, how do you get companies to change their lives through messaging strategy? Now I've been writing books, the, the new book, Is That All There Is?, and working with people on learning how to do this for themselves. Because, you know, we all hear the clock ticking. We've all reached a relative level of success. And by relative, I mean, you and I are not debating whether we take your Lear or my Gulfstream to Gestad for the season, but we're also not worried about who's going to pick up the dinner check. You know, we're somewhere right. in the middle there. So but, but let's talk about it, because this is fascinating for me, and I think for a lot of others as well. I also don't do much of the implementation. It's not because we're too good for it. It's just we've done it and it's time to do something else. And I, and I like to look at our life and our career and, and the 
espousing of our wisdom uh, and the implementation as just the, the next step. We, we've all learned something and everything that we do is a reflection of the wisdom born of experience. Let's talk a little bit about third act. Um, because I read your book and once again, highly recommended for all. It's got a very creative cover for those who are, who are looking at the video version. If not go to Amazon, look it up, Bruce Turkel, T-U-R-K-E-L. It's called, is that all there is? Or if you want to put the, uh, in Terabang, is that all there is like, this is it, but it's a great question because I, I think a lot of people get, and this isn't people who hate their life. This is the people who, who have had a measure of success and say, ask what's next because I'm not done and we're not ready to be put out to pasture. And what I found fascinating about the book was not only was there some relevance, I wasn't really in a place of questioning, but we're new empty nesters for myself, for my wife and I, um, doesn't mean the kids are off the payroll, but at least five of them grown and gone. Um, but what I loved was you've got, and how many people did you interview altogether for this? Well, I interviewed about 45, but I feature 14 of them in the book. 14 of them. And what was really interesting, and I was talking to our kids because we've got kids that go from 27 down to 18. And they're all dealing with that angst of, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I hate my job or whatever else. I mean, they're kids, right? And I'm like, I found we were, we moved recently and I, and I had this um, plastic, these, these full sheets that used to go in a three ring binder filled with old business cards. And I think I counted 26 business cards I have had over the years. And what I love about the book, once again, the book is called, it's that all there is. Um, is so many of the stories, the, the thread, even though they were all very, very different individuals, the thread was each of them had gone through significant life and career shifts. And sometimes it was, they had sort of earned the right to do something else because of what they'd done. But some of the shifts were profound. Very few people who worked 40 years and got a gold watch, they realized the world had changed, their life had changed, and they were gonna do something different. And it was incredibly empowering. How did you feel during those interviews? Because you, you did the interviews, basically, you reported them in their words, as they described their journey. Talk to me about that. And what drove you to want to do that for this book? Well, you know, you and I are marketing guys. And so we grew up on a steady diet of market research being handed to us. If you're going to be working on an account, Here's who our customers are. Here's what they believe. And, you know, some of it we would accept, some of it you would reject. You look for inspiration, blah, blah, blah. But we were used to having those job jackets or digital files just full of information about what to do next. And then you decide, okay, I'm going to change my life. And you look around. Well, there's, you could read biographies. I mean, read Golda Meir's biography, read Winston Churchill's biography, read uh, Martin Luther King's biography. You're going to be incredibly inspired and you're going to get some good tips, but no one actually tells you what to do next. There's no prescribed program for this. And everyone has different ways of doing it. The other thing is, I thought, you know what? I don't know the answers. I'm exploring this. And I'm not presumptuous enough to believe that my way of doing it is the right way for everybody. So let me talk to a bunch of different people who have gone through these significant changes. I thought I was going to talk to 80 year olds. I started that way. But then as people recommended, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so, you need to talk to so-and-so. It kept going down until Ian Wolf, I think was in his thirties when I spoke to him, but it changed his life drastically from MIT to Green Berets. I mean, just all these drastic changes. And what I, and oh, so then I looked for those differences. And then I also looked for the similarities to use your point, the patterns. 
What keeps repeating itself where you could go, oh, you know what? I've been through that. And what I realized was the facts are different. I tried to have the people be as diverse as possible in age, in, in gender, in, um, in ethnicity, in religion, everything. So the facts are different, but the truths are universal. And so you, I found that I could listen to an interview with someone whose life was completely different than mine, but they would talk about things and I would be thinking, oh yeah, I went through that with my kids or, oh yeah, I know about that. And so there was this weird juxtaposition of everybody's different, everybody's the same. Right, my goal I got the same thing. Kind of changed, thank you. As I wrote it to be, at first I was gonna tell people, here's what you should do. Then it dawned on me, I'm gonna say, here's what other people have done. If you see things in here that work for you, use them. If you see things in here and you go, oh my God, I would never do that. Well, that's an equally beneficial- well, That's valuable lesson. as well, absolutely. Right. So when you go up to the salad bar, I think I use that metaphor. Look, I like beets and romaine lettuce and, um, and red onions. You may say I hate onions, but I like stinky cheese and mushy tomatoes. Okay, knock yourself out. That's the whole idea. And that's what I was trying to get across. Here, and I even took it farther because I looked at it, the, all the people there, and the farther we go in our lives and our careers is that we've all seen a growing salad bar. We know what we don't like anymore. We know what we like and we want more of. And I think that's the most empowering part of it is for those who are facing, and I, I think some people are lost. I think some people, it was a little bit jarring. I remember my father, when he retired, my, my uh, stepmom was like, stop following me around the house, you know, find <laughs> I something married to you do. for better or worse, not for lunch. Get out right, of here. Exactly right. Right. And, pe and people talking about it, it being a little bit jarring or going from those of us who, who've led companies going from six days a week and, you know, 120 miles an hour to zero. And they thought they wanted to golf every day. But using your, your salad bar analogy was people, I, I think I saw people saying, I realized this part was more important to me. This part I really liked and I want to do more of it. And being able to have the freedom to, whether it's, it's make a living doing that. Um, but but I, I think as we sort of tie it back to the brand stuff as well, it's, it's coming to a greater recognition of what our gifts are and greater recognition of where our value lies and greater recognition of where we want to spend our time with the relationships with the, the people and anyway just highly recommended um there were parts that absolutely had no relevance to me other than it was interesting and inspiring to see somebody else's journey and i've never been one that, that's sort of searching you know a, a search for meaning and for me it's more of a quest for impact you know you want to matter not just because you were but because you did something or meant something to somebody else and so I think it's a, a remarkable achievement. Um, it was it's clear that it was a little bit part of your personal journey, but I love that you included so many other journeys in that as well. One of the things that, that I've learned, because since I've written the book, people come up to me all the time and talk about the fact that they want to change their lives. They want to do these things. I don't know that I can leave my job. You know, my kids are still in college, whatever. Everybody has their, their issues. And so I always ask the same question, which is, okay, before you figure out what to do, you have to really be clear on what you want. And I will tell you now that generically, people give me three answers to that question. What do you want? I want to be happy, they say, or I want to be rich, or I want to be fulfilled. If you peel the onion further, if you pick that apart, what does I want to be happy mean? Does it mean you want to walk around smiling all the time, or you want to be joyful, 
or you're a hedonist and you want to increase pleasure and reduce pain, it's a hallmark card. Being happy is not really a, a real, you know, it's part of, you get happy because of other things. Then they say, I want to be right. rich. And then the question is, okay, how rich do you want to be? Because chances are, I mean, you might have financial constraints and financial pressures, but you already are rich. You know, you are richer today than a king of England was 300 years or 400 years ago. The only thing Absolutely. they could do that you couldn't do Relative. was they could have people beheaded and you can't really do that. But other than that, you know, you've never felt been hungry. I mean, people say to me, I'm like literally starving. Oh no, they say literally. I'm like literally starving. Go, no, you're not. Yeah. You just haven't had a pizza in a couple hours. And then I want to be fulfilled by what? Are you religious? Are you spiritual? Do you want to, are you a humanitarian? What is it? And then they really have to think. And I, by the way, the exercises we used to use in the agency to help our clients figure out what they wanted with some modifications work incredibly well. So I've been doing these strategic roundtables, showing people how to do it. Once they get clear on that, who they are, what they want, everything changes. It's a real game changer because then well, it brings focus. it back. It brings it back to the title of the book itself, which is sort of that, that common question for those who are feeling a little lost or a little unfulfilled. My wife recently got her master's in organizational psychology and she has this, and here's my plug for her business. She has a, a company called more to life mentoring. And she mentors women who think is is that all there is? Is this all there is? Is there more to life? Whether they raise their kids, whether and for I, I, I think the title is 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 so um, um, descriptive and self-identifying. I think the right people who are asking that question, is that all there is? There's something inherent in that that says they're somewhat aspirational, but they don't know the direction to go. I think I think you're absolutely right. And different people express it different ways, which is why I tried to do a sort of a universal viewpoint. So you could pick what worked for you. As you said, some of them you didn't find relevant, but you found the stories fascinating. Others, you Absolutely. think, oh my God, that guy lived my life. I mean, it, it, it did both. Right. That's good. Hey, listen, um, we could talk all day and we, we might off air and we'll have you back as well. Um, if people want to learn more about Bruce Turkel and how to bring you in to speak or to consult, how do they get in touch with you? Easy. One of the things you and I both learned in marketing is easy is better than clever. So my website, believe it or not, is my name, bruceturkel.com. My email address is my name, bruce at bruceturkel.com. If you go on my website, my phone number is there. You can email me. You can read my blog every week. It's all there. If you go to YouTube and want to see my videos, guess what name it's under? Oh, yeah. Bruce Turkel. Bruce Turkel. It is, uh, you're speaking my mantra, be remarkably easy to do business with. Mine, coincidentally, is davidaveren.com. How does that happen? At David Averin, yeah, as opposed to your clever marketing, something, yeah, anyway. Um, listen, hey, thank you for, uh, for being on the show. Hang out here for a second. We'll talk on the other side. I will remind everybody that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. You know, some of your most uh, innovative solutions to your biggest customer facing challenges are found within the creative minds of your own people. Let me contribute to your morning huddle conversation. You can learn more about participating in this powerful global initiative at morninghuddlemembership.com. Of course, all my books are available on Amazon, including my new book, as I reach here off to the side, which of course is called The Morning Huddle. 
powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. Be sure to click to like this podcast, subscribe, leave a comment below, and of course, click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. And you can learn more about my keynote speaking at and consulting at davidaveron.com. If you want to hire Bruce, go to brewsterkel.com. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Listen, this is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Check out past episodes, leave a comment. A big thanks to my guest, Bruce Turkel. You know, someone should hire both of us. I think do so. Don't you think? I think I'll, a... I'll do the morning. You do the afternoon. No, we do it together. We get on stage together. We do a give and take. We fight for their attention. It could be like a, like a chain match, except about... I, I think so. It, it's the, the all Ashkenazi ticket. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm David Avram. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast with David Avrin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print as well as Kindle and audiobook and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidavrin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.